words with me, if you would, to the book of Acts. We're not even going to talk about Paul today, but we're in the book of Acts. How could that be? Anybody check your calendar? You know what today is? Sanctity of Life Sunday. That's right. We celebrate life that God has given us. We, we, we weep and mourn with our nation for the millions of babies that we've murdered through abortion. And we, we want to take a look into God's Word, kind of following along the, the, the sermons from the last couple of years, and I hope you all remember them, uh, just uh, sharing on the, the principle that God... God controls the womb. And all through the Bible, in the, the last couple of years, we've seen through Abraham and Sarah, we've seen Isaac and Rebekah and Jacob and Leah and Rachel, and, and how God opens and shuts the wombs. For as we turn in Acts chapter 3, Acts chapter 3, verse 13. Give you just a minute to find that. Acts chapter 3, beginning in verse 13. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus, the one whom you delivered up and disowned in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you disowned the holy and the righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. But you put to death the author of life, the one whom God raised from the dead, a fact to which we are witnesses. Now let me me read that again and see if any of you wake up a little bit. You put to death the author of life, the one whom God raised from the dead. The one whom God raised from the dead. Amen and amen. Come on, folks. Wake up. Amen and amen. God raised Jesus from the dead. All right? Yeah. God raised him from the dead, a fact to which we are witness. It was part of the plan because God knew Adam and Eve were going to sin. He knew he was going to have to send his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross as the way, only way of our salvation. Read this with me, if you would, please. Let me sit down here for a minute so I don't block you. Acts 4.12, neither, read together with me, please. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Salvation is through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. It's not through anything that we can do. It's not because of who we are, but it's because of who he is and what he did for us. And he is the author of life. Turn with me to John chapter 1.
John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This one was in the beginning with God. Now let me read, let me read that again. In the beginning was Christ, and Christ was with God, and Christ was God. Christ was in the beginning with God. Verse, verse 3, all things came into being by him, and apart from him nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not overpower it. Life comes from Jesus. Life is given by Jesus. So, back to the old picture. How often in our lives do we take, our, take God off the throne and put ourselves there and think that we know better than he does? That's called sin. So who in the world are we to take another human's life? We can only do that by taking God off the throne and putting ourselves there. Because life comes from Jesus. Life comes directly from God. He controls it. He controls it. He opens the womb and he closes the womb. I, I, I believe in the Bible doesn't state this specifically, but personally from my study in, in, in the last sermons on this and, and studying this week, I believe God has his hand in every single pregnancy that happens on this earth. It is accomplished by him and for him. It is accomplished to, he brings it about to accomplish his will, to carry out his will for you and I, for our families, for the human race. He's in charge. And he's got it. Turn with me to Deuteronomy. We're going we're gonna to spend a few minutes in Deuteronomy 7, but I just briefly want to kind of give you a context of where we're at in the Old Testament in, in Deuteronomy chapter 5, we have the listing of the, the Ten Commandments. So wait a minute, Pastor, that's an exodus. It's there too. It was there first. It's here in Deuteronomy. And he's talking about the law and in, in the, the principle of the law and in the, in the covenant that he's making with the people, the Jews. In chapter 6, he talks about the importance of parents instructing their, their children. And in 7, beginning part of the chapter, he talks about what happens if you obey the law and what happens if you disobey the law. And, and one thing he's, he's focusing on here is that when you come into the land, don't intermarry. Don't take their daughters for your sons and don't take their sons for your daughters. Don't intermarry. I don't want that to happen, and this is why. Verse 4, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 4. 
For they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and he will quickly destroy you. But thus you shall do to them. You shall tear down their altars, smash their sacred pillars, and hew down their ashram, and burn their graven images with fire. Why? Verse 6. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his own possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. He had a plan. He had a plan. He had a plan for his people. He said, don't, don't, don't intermarry them when you come into the land. Aside from the fact that he told them to completely wipe them out, there shouldn't have been any of them left to marry. But God knew what would happen. Don't do it. Don't intermarry. Because that's a problem. Verse 8, But because the Lord loved you and kept the oath which he swore to your forefathers, the Lord, you, the Lord brought you out by a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Now therefore the Lord your God, verse 9, He is faithful. He is God, the faithful God, who keeps His covenant and His loving kindness to a thousandth generations with those who love Him and keep His commandments. Here's the other hand on that. But, but, He repays those who hate Him to their faces to destroy them. He will not delay with Him who hates Him. He will repay him to his face. Therefore, you shall keep the commandment and the statutes and the judgments which I am commanding you today to do them. We talk about in a, in a, in a Christian's life, how, how do you know that someone's a Christian? Well, you, 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 there may be, and, and there's, there's the cases of the, of the traumatic Traumatic, dramatic changes that can happen the moment somebody comes to Christ. Someone that couldn't stop cussing and swearing, God sometimes takes it away from them. An alcoholic or somebody struggling with gambling, they can turn on a dime. Doesn't always happen, but the, 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 the amazing part of that is that it, it's, it's there for the taking. It, it can happen if we allow God to work. But if you keep the commandments and the statutes, he says, this, this is what I'm going to do for you. And, and I'm sorry, I kind of I left that thought open. What we do as is, is Christians, how we know someone is a Christian, is because they want to obey God. They want to follow him. They want to do what he says. If somebody goes on living their life and there's no change, they, they, don't, they don't turn from the world and turn towards God, you have to you, you wonder, and, and God's the ultimate judge, thank goodness, because I don't want to, yeah, you're, no, you're not, yeah, you're, no, 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 that's not my place. That's not my job. But it's going to be obvious from your life. To me and to those around, it's going to be obvious whether you know Jesus Christ and have a personal relationship with him or not. 
If you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and you care more about him than you do about yourself, you're going to humble yourself and be obedient to him. You're going to obey his words. And he's got, he's got some, some great things coming for those that obey him and want to follow him. Verse 12. Then it shall come about, because you listen to these judgments and keep and you do them, okay, that's the obedience part, that the Lord your God will keep, will keep with you his covenant and his loving kindness, which he swore to your forefathers. Here's, here's some of the, the, the goodness that's going to happen. He will love you and bless you and multiply you. He will also bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground, your grain and your new wine and your oil, the increase of your herd and the young of your flock in the land which he swore to your forefathers to give you. You will be blessed above all peoples. Therefore shall be no male or female barren among you or among your cattle. We know from John 1 that that Christ was there when creation happened. He was there with God. If he partook in creation, what in the world would make us think that he couldn't control the womb? He says, if you obey me, I will bless you, I will multiply you, and will bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of the, of the ground. So it's, it's not just, it's a, it's a spiritual thing. It's a spiritual thing. We obey him. And he's, he's, he's going to bless us spiritually based to the promises of the forefathers. But he's also going to bless the ground that you plant. He's going to bless your cattle, your crops, and your animals. He's going to multiply them. Because he can do that because he's God. That's who he is and that's what he can do. You'll be blessed above all the peoples. There will be no male or female barren among you or among your cattle. Again, back to that thought of obedience. If somebody is not obeying God, it's going to be evident in their life. It's going to be obvious. It's going to be easy to see. It's not going to take a rocket scientist. It's not going to take a genius to figure out if somebody's living for the Lord or not. Now, are, are any of us, once, once we ask Christ to be our Savior, we submit to Him, does that mean we become perfect and never sin again? No. No. Because if that's the case, I think a whole bunch of us are in trouble. Matthew 5 or 6. Stay, stay in Deuteronomy. I'll be right back with you. Matthew, and I, I, I put this in the, my part of the annual report. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works You don't have to hide your good works. They're going to see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. They're not going to glorify you if you're doing it right and you're doing it well. 
They're going to understand and they're going to glorify your Father who's in heaven, not you. Because, as we say, it's not about you. It's not about me. It's all about God. It's all about Him. But our life will be different. It will look different. It will look different to our family. It will look different to the people around us if we are obedient and want to follow God and love Him. And it's going to be obvious to those around us if we don't, if we're not, if we're not believers, if we're not following, if we don't care about obeying His Word. Now, there's all sorts of other benefits besides the the fruit of the womb and and multiplying and and being blessed, uh, the the grain and the the herds. Um, There's joy. There's peace that we have that the world doesn't understand, Philippians 4. They, They don't get it. They can't. But we can have that peace and joy in our lives as we surrender and submit to God. Turn to Judges over a few pages towards, towards the, away from the beginning of the book. That's what I'll say. Judges chapter 13. <clears throat> don't read, if your Bible has headings in it, don't read the headings to this chapter right now, okay? Yeah, right. Now that I said you don't do it, you're not going to be able to help but do it. I know, I know. I'm going to read the first seven verses. Now the sons of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. Sounds like somebody's not obeying. So that the Lord gave them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. There was a certain man of Zorah, of the family of Danites, or from the tribe of Dan, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had borne no children. I love this. Then the angel of the Lord appeared. God knows. He knows how many hairs are on our heads. He knows which women are having babies and which ones aren't. He knows that. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, now you are barren and have borne no children. I I don't think that was any news or surprise to her. But this was, You shall conceive and give birth to a son. Now therefore be careful not to drink wine or strong drink, nor eat any unclean thing. For behold, you shall conceive and give birth to a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for the boy shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. And he shall begin to deliver Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Then the woman came and told her husband, saying, A man of God came to me and appeared, uh, and his appearance was like the appearance of the angel of God. Very awesome. And I did not ask him where he came from, nor did he tell me his name. But he said to me, Behold, you shall conceive and give birth to a son, and now you shall not drink wine or strong drink, nor eat any unclean thing. For the boy shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. And I'm sure you figured out now who that little boy was. The Incredible Hulk. (laughs) Samson. But even in Samson's life, you, you know and you see the times that he's being obedient to God and the times that he's being disobedient because he does the exact opposite of what we just did and, and read in Deuteronomy. He, he married outside the family. 
He married outside the, the nation, the tribe. Okay? When he was obedient, God blessed him greatly and used him greatly to carry out his work. But when he became disobedient, it was very obvious to all that he wasn't being obedient to God because God removed his blessing from him. It, it just amazes me, and, and it, it's just the, the, the concept. I, I have no idea who I was talking sometime in the past few weeks. Can't remember. Somebody was talking about the, just the, the, the amazingness of being in a delivery room as a baby's being born. Just the incredible, the incredibleness of that whole thing. To realize that, that God put together a man and a woman and they, God gave them this child. There, there is another soul there. There is another life. Another one that you're getting ready to experience. Well, you're already experiencing it, but you're going to get to experience it on the outside. But just the amazing thought of that whole process, that it's another human being. It's, it's a real life that is, that is growing inside the womb that God has blessed. Just blows my mind. And, and it, it, it blew my mind just as much as with the fourth one as it did the first and the second and the third. And, and I, I tell a story. When we moved into our place here five years ago, one day I was out walking around the yard and looking at all the trees. And we, where we lived in Hancock, I think we had a, a little maple tree that we'd planted five years before. And I think it was all of eight feet by then. I'm looking at these trees out here, 80, 90 feet tall, and I'm, I own these trees. That's crazy. And God said, no, you don't. They're mine. <laughs> I'm letting you borrow them, but they're really mine. Said, yeah, that's true, God. They are yours. Each life that he gives is his to accomplish his purpose and carry out his will. Who in the world do we think we are that we have the right to terminate that? God help us. God forgive us. That, that, that God knows the number of our hairs, that's, that's insignificant. In my eyes, that's kind of insignificant. I mean, it's pretty amazing, pretty incredible, but just the fact that he knows who's... And, and who, who, what, what women are, are having kids and which ones aren't, but it, it just is amazing that the angel in verse 3 says, you're going to conceive and give birth to a son. She hasn't conceived yet, but this angel knows that she's going to and already knows if it's going to be a boy or a girl. Trust me, those are the only two options. It's going to be a boy or a girl. And the angel knows that. Because the angel's got connections in heaven to God. <laughs> and how amazing is that? That God knows. 
before a woman even gets pregnant, when she's going to get pregnant, and if it's going to be a boy or a girl. That's just, that just, again, my, my mind is too small to, to fully comprehend and, and appreciate all, the, all that that means. Turn with me, if you would, to 1 Samuel. We're going to cover the entire chapter. I'm not going to read the entire chapter one, but we'll kind of summarize it and go along. I'll I'll read pieces of verse 1. And and guys, please, I'm not trying to take away from God's word. I'm just not going to read every word that's here in front of you right now, okay? Verse 1, there's a man, Elkanah. He's the son of Jerem, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zoph, an Ephraimite. If any of them were here, they'd probably tell me I didn't say their name right. But he had two wives. Oh, that's a problem. <laughs> I don't know if he's brave or stupid. Yeah. He had two wives, and the name was one of them was Hannah, and the other, her name was Peninnah. And Peninnah had no children, or excuse me, had children, but Hannah didn't. They'd go up early to the city of Jerusalem to worship, to give sacrifices. Verse 5, but Hannah, um, no, I can't leave four. For the, the day would come, they would go to sacrifice. He would give a, a portion to Peninnah and his wife and to her sons and her daughters, plural. On both of those, sons and daughters. But to Hannah he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah, but the Lord had closed her womb. Don't know if it's because there was sin involved. We, we know from, from Deuteronomy that if you were obedient and you, and you lived a life pleasing to the Lord, that he would multiply and open the wombs, not just of the humans, but of the animals. So the question begs, if he closes the womb, is it because of disobedience or sin? Maybe, maybe not. And it doesn't state here. But the Lord had closed her womb. And how sad is it, but not surprising in verse 6, it says, Her rival, her rival, the other woman, would provoke her bitterly, bitterly to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. Bullying's been around for a long time, folks. Doesn't mean it's right, but it's been around for an awful long time. This Penaniah was just nasty. She was a mean, vindictive woman. I mean, to say rubbing salt in the wounds isn't even close probably to, to what Hannah endured and put up with and felt. But for some reason, God chose to close her womb. That's at his discretion. That's at his will. He opens and closes it at his will so that, it, it, so that his will will be accomplished, so that it will be carried out.
God is in control and he sets about to accomplish his purpose. Verse 7, folks, this is sad. It happened year after year. That this woman was nasty to Hannah. Year after year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she would provoke her so that Hannah wept and would not eat. You ever been that distraught? i got to be pretty distraught not to eat. This poor woman. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep and why do you eat? Not, and you do not eat. And why is your heart sad? Am I not better to you than ten sons? Oh, there's a, there's a, a man with a lack of understanding. Hannah rose after eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli the priest, this is verse 9, was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the temple. She, she was so distressed and she was weeping and she was praying. And, and the, the priest, Eli, thought she was drunk. She made a vow and said, in her distress as, as, she's, as she's praying, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give thy maidservant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and a razor shall never come on his head. Verse 13, Hannah was speaking in her heart, but only her lips were moving. But her voice was not heard, and Eli thought she was drunk. And it says, No, my Lord, I am a woman oppressed in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant as a worthless woman, for I have spoken until now out of my great concern and provocation. And even without knowing what it was, Eli answered and said in verse 17, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant your petition that you have asked of him. Verse 19, the Lord remembered her. Verse 20, she gave birth to a son, and she named him Samuel, saying, Because I have asked him of the Lord. And as, as, the, as you keep reading there, Hannah is a woman of her word. When she weans Samuel, she takes him to the temple so that he will be in service to the Lord. She asked God to give her a son. And she wasn't even going to get to raise the boy. She said, Lord, if you give me a son, I'll give him right back to you. And she did that. She brought him to the, to the temple, turned him over to Eli. Verse 27, for this boy I prayed, and the Lord has given me my petition, which I asked of him. So I have also dedicated him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is dedicated to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there. Write this down and read chapter 2, at least the first 10 verses this afternoon. <laughs> what a glorious praise that Hannah has to the Lord for what he did in her life. That we would praise God like that 
when he works in our lives, and he does every day, folks. Back to Acts chapter 3. Jesus is the author of life. He controls the womb. He's in charge, not us. Let that sink in. We need to we need to be praying for our nation. We need to pray for our state. Because there, there was great excitement when Roe versus Wade was overturned, but that was almost two years ago now. But at the same time, if if you if you looked ahead, Pandora's box has been opened, and, and if anybody had any insight or understanding, they knew that would happen, and it's happening in our state with laws that are being passed. And there's all sorts of ramification. Because in the fall of 22, the state passed Pro- Proposal 3, which changed our state constitution. Usually, you make a law and then you compare it to the Constitution. They changed the Constitution, so now any law that's written is judged by what's been added to our Constitution. And the garbage that's coming out is ridiculous. We know that, and, 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 it, and it just doesn't just have to do with, with abortion and pregnancy. It's, it's much worse and much further than that. They, they've gone to the point of saying that if it's a minor child that has a guardian, if it's a matter of a developmental disabled or something like that, that the, the parent or the guardian can use that child's body and sell that body to carry a baby for somebody else. And the guardian can make money off of that, and it doesn't matter if they're a minor or not. They can be 14, 15, 16 years old. Then if this couple that that bought this body to carry their baby decides they don't want it, then that person, that child carrying that baby must, by law, have an abortion. To get rid of it. They cannot even carry it to term to put it up for adoption. That's where our slippery slope is leading us, people. It's there. It's, it's already written in. I don't know if that law has passed, but it's before the Senate. If it hasn't passed yet, it's before our Senate. And there's a whole lot of other ones that are worse than that. We, as a state, not every state in the union is doing this. Thank God for that. But unfortunately, our state is. We need to pray that God will shake it out of us, wake us up. That, that's, only, that's only one of probably about 40 or 50 bills 
that's before in committees and some of them have passed the House and they're in the Senate waiting for them to act on it and some have been written in the Senate, have passed the Senate and are sitting in the House waiting for the House to, to vote on them. Who in the world do we think we are? Messing with God and His laws. Telling God, God, you don't know what you're talking about. This is our right to change. Whatever we want. No, it's not. It's not our right to do that. Because God, Jesus Christ, is the author of life. Father, please help our our nation. Help our state. I, I don't know how or what can be done. But I know we must pray. I know we must share the love of Jesus with our neighbors because the only thing that's going to change anything is you changing people's hearts. We can make all the laws we want. We can unwrite laws. But Father, we need you to change hearts, to draw them to you, that people's eyes would be open to the love of Jesus and the need of salvation before it's too late. Father, use us to carry out your will. Help us to be bold. Help us to stand firm on the truth of the Word of God and not cave in, not give in to that whatsoever. Thank you for your Word, Father. Thank you for the encouragement of it. And I, I just pray that people, when they, this afternoon, would go home and read 1 Samuel 2 and, and just the, the exaltation and the praise that Hannah had in her heart for you, Father. What a beautiful praise that is. Thank you for this time. And again, thank you for your word. We ask that you'd, you'd bless our fellowship, that, that we would enjoy one another's company, Father. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand and we'll sing.